Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Through History, a Bruins history podcast presented by Bruins Diehards. Uh, check them out at BruinsDieHards.com. So this was originally a video series that I started about a year ago, and now it is morphing into like a full-on audio podcast. And each week we're going to talk about a moment from Bruins history, we're going to present a topic, and then we're just going to roll with it. But first, let me introduce my co-host, Mr. RJ DeMello. How you doing? Hello, man. What an intro. That was very well done. <laughs> Thank Are you. Are you a professional? I am. Sort of. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on. And I hope you don't mind that I put the old garden as my background here to uh, you know, bring that nostalgia back. No, I love it. I love how the... Uh, I always heard stories about how the seats felt like you were literally over the ice in the upper deck. Yeah, because it was built for boxing. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah, they there was a series, you know, Madison Square Garden being famous, Boston Garden. Person was building them. His rule was from any seat in the house, you got to be able to see like the sweat on the boxers. And so that's sort of why it's constructed in that way. And or at least the story that I've read and I could be completely wrong. So just like always fact check anything I say. No, it's but, okay. You're right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, it was like built with that in mind to be like, if there was a boxing ring in the middle of that arena, could everyone see it? And that's why it's so on top of it. No way. Wow. You, you know, you already taught me something. It's been uh, two minutes and you taught me something. There we go. Number one on the how many facts. I don't know. Uh, so, actually, first of all, wh- what kind of beer are you drinking? I used to do this segment on an old podcast of mine. So, what are you drinking right now? Well, it's out of this good old Sam Adams uh, glass here, Austin. but it is not. It is a... Level, Ready Player One. It is uh, a beer out of Portland, Oregon. It's a dry hop saison that they say is their like uh, lawnmower beer. Have a couple of these outside, cutting the grass, no big deal, you know? What, what do you think you? in your glass there, Christian? Oh, okay. Uh, I'll tell you. I have the Proclamation Ale Company, which is a brewery right down the road here in Warwick, Rhode Island. This is Stock. Uh, I went full on in with a double IPA. Uh, so. Wow. All right. Yeah. We'll see. The, we'll see how by the back half the of this podcast, you'll be having a grand old time. <laughs> That's how you get loose, you know, for a, for a podcast. Um, so you're, you're coming, you're coming live from, uh, the West coast from Portland, Oregon. Uh, how you doing out there? That is, that is true. It is, uh, it's a different world, but I, you know, I guess they're kind of, you know, getting excited a little bit about hockey with the, with the Kraken rolling in, but Seattle and Portland have a big rivalry. So it's pretty, it was funny. I ran into a, delivery driver i had this hat on it's like oh you're a bruins fan I'm like yeah he's like i starts talking about hockey i'm like oh like you gonna be uh like are you cracking fan you say he's like seattle oh hell no no i'm a red wings fan i was like all right i don't know how it happened but sure <laughs> you know so you know we'll, they'll be uh yeah, be interesting to see how much to portland <laughs> outside of you know because there's no team close to portland so in theory it would be like oh that's the team but there's a rivalry between the cities so who knows how much 
the Kraken love will come down to Portland. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, you guys have what? You have an NBA team. You have a MLS team. No NWSL team. And but no baseball. Uh, no football. Right. They're trying to bring baseball here. No football. Um, yeah. So they they actually they have a minor league hockey team, the Portland Winterhawks. Ooh. That actually draw pretty well. This team supports their sports. You know, so. Um, it's, it's, it's cool to see, and it's cool to see there are a ton of Bruins and, and like New England sports fans out here, a lot of like transplants and whatnot. So, uh, I'm sure I'll be able to find the sort of the Bruins bar here. Like I did when I, I lived in New York city for six years and, yep. n- you know, knew the Bruins spots there. And actually one of my favorite Bruins memories was in New York city, uh, went to their game against the Islanders at Barclays center and they had to. Bergy scored a hat trick and they had to pause the restart of the game because there was too many hats on the ice. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. You know, like we are the away team here and we, we're stopping them because of our hats on the, like it was, it was really cool. Well, I don't know how the prices were at Barclays, but I know that, um, in Nassau, they're like way cheaper than Boston. So like so many people from the new England area drive down to watch a game, uh, on long Island. Although the crowds at Nassau were amazing in the postseason this year. Like, it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, they they support it big time out there. The move to Barclays, like I get it from a, you know, I guess maybe fiscal or you want to be in the city and be whatever. But like, it's just not where that fan base is. And, right. And it wasn't a, a stadium arena made for hockey and it just... It didn't fit. So it makes sense for them to go back out there and they'll have a, a you know, they have good fans. They'll have a good, good uh, atmosphere there and whatnot, but yeah. And they're getting a new rink, so it's yeah. going to be awesome. Yeah. Now I have a question for you, Christian. Yes. Go ahead. History podcast. I want to know your Bruins history. Um, you know, either earliest memories or games you went to, mm-hmm. or even just hockey history where, you know, where, where do you, where does your, uh, your passion come from? Yeah, so uh, I think like a lot of people comes from how you were raised. Like my dad is obviously a big hockey fan. Um, I'm in their basement right now. That's all the memorabilia behind me. But uh, yeah, I I grew up playing hockey. And then um, as long as I can remember, he had season tickets to the Providence Bruins, which is I got his old hat on right now. Um, My earliest memories are probably from the P Bruins. In terms of Boston, uh, Sergei Samsonov, Joe Thornton, like that team. Yeah, it's like oh, yeah. my early, early memories. I feel like everyone that's our age, like loved Samson off. Like that, that was the guy back then. Oh yeah, I definitely did. Absolutely. Um, in terms of like a game though, I went to go see the Bruins play. Oh, you know what? I went to go see the Bruins play the Flyers in the early 2000s in a snowstorm. And it was long enough ago where Peter Forsberg was on the Flyers. Wow. Cause he, pl- he played for them briefly towards the end of his, his run in the NHL. Okay. And, I believe we were pretty close to the ice and he got a penalty and we were right near the penalty box and Peter Forsberg was sitting in the penalty box. So that was pretty cool. Were you yelling at him? Were you giving him some? Or no, you I, like, I was too. You're 10. You're <laughs> I don't think I was even 10 yet, but uh, I loved Peter Forsberg because he was on the cover of NHL 98. Do you oh, remember yeah. that game? Oh yeah. That, that was the my quintessential NHL video game, 98. My older brother would just deke through my entire team and score i would get so upset but love that game it's a classic older brother thing i think john oh, yeah. oh and he would love it and I, he's eight years older by the way 
so he's like 18 and I'm 10 and he's crushing me and like letting me hear it. I'm like, what are you doing? Suck it. Yeah. Bully. Uh, well, I guess same question to you. What is like some, some of your earliest memories? Uh, I know we were talking about it off air, but, uh, yeah. What are some of your early memories? Yeah. Uh, I guess, you know, similar, I grew up in a very much hockey household. My older brother who used to embarrass me at NHL, uh, he, played you know up until college and it was a good player and so i always grew up watching him and but then my dad played and still played until very recently um so there that aspect was always there for the passion part and then the bruins i mean i remember watching a home video uh my dad took my brother to a game at the old garden and they like got on like the pre or post game show like in the background doing the like oh you know and like they got it recorded off the on like a VHS tape off the TV and stuff. That's so awesome. I remember seeing that, and then, uh, you know, go, went to. I remember what like the first memory I have of watching was a game where they were tearing down the old garden as they were playing in the new one, and I think they were playing like the Buffalo Sabers. I don't know why yeah. it, like it stands out to me there, but could have been Dominic uh, Hasek in net. Yeah, way. I think that might have been it, you know, when that's like awesome. that's always a big time, you know, when he's playing and stuff. And so I remember watching that and being like, oh, they're tearing a building down. You know, like I was, I don't know, five, six or something like. And then the first game I went to, it was Joe Thornton's either rookie season or second season, because, again, I was like seven or eight or something like that. And I remember my mom opening up the phone book. Remember those? <laughs> And like finding the ticket dating number, yourself here. <laughs> calling and getting tickets. And okay, or section three, whatever, row like 15. We're like, oh, okay, awesome, cool. Like row 15, that must be not bad. And it's me, my, my brother and my dad. And we get there and we get to the, the balcony seats and we turn and we go up and we're like, one, two, three, four. And we're getting towards the back. We're like 10, 11. Row 15 was the last row in the building. We were the very last row. Like center ice, but very last row in the, the garden. At the Fleet Center, by the way. At Not the Fleet Park. Center, that's right. Uh, to watch like Joe Thornton and Sergey Samsonov and, and even like Ray Bork and them. And that was the uh, my first Bruins game and first of, first of many. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a long journey. That's awesome. Like that era sticks out so much in my mind. Like I was pretty young, but I had the poster of like, I just found it online recently. It was, it's Ray Bork, Joe Thornton, and Sergey Samsonov on the poster. Oh, yeah. And it, just, it says swarm. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> swarm the opponent or whatever. Yeah, that's our style. But it was, I mean, they weren't great after Bork left for, for a little while in the early 2000s. But, like, Samsonov just seemed so good. Like, he was this little guy, like, buzzing around the ice. Yeah. I had the shirt. But He was. He was electric, man. I mean... I was looking the other day at it and he, his first probably like five or six years, he had really good numbers and was scoring close to 30 goals and 40 something assists. I think he won the Calder. And, I think he was rookie of the year. Yeah, he was. And yeah, Joe Thornton had like five goals in his rookie year and Sergey had 25. Like It's crazy. Yeah. It was... Uh, Times have changed. Yeah. He came out of the gate and yeah, Joe Thornton's like still playing somehow. He has no knees, but he's out there just... Right. Doing his thing. I was, I mean, I was kind of hoping he would come back like at the end of his career, like maybe we'd resign him as like a fourth liner. Right. I don't know how effective he would be, but like, it would just be kind of cool. <laughs> it would. No, it would, it would be like, 
you want to see that. You want to see your, your like, if guys do go or, or have to go or, you know, like, you want to see a little bit of a return to what you deem maybe being home, though. I guess with Joe, he was in San Jose so long, but... Right. Yeah, he's cool. more of a shark than he's a Bruin. Yeah, it would be cool to see him come back, but... Um, I think for a while, you know, it's interesting what time does. I think at first there was like a, I don't know if bitterness is the right word, but like, I think now Bruins fans look at him and appreciate his career and think he was a great player. I think when right. he left, there was like, a, you know, at first he didn't quite hit the numbers he was supposed to. And then we traded him and there's just maybe a little drama or animosity or whatever word I'm looking for. But uh, that's at least how I interpreted it at the time. That right. That you know, Joe Thornton was whatever. But now I think his storied career—it's a little bit more like Joe Thornton is a great player. There's no doubt about that. And yep. you know, part of that history is with the Bruins, and that's cool. He's kind of like—I mean—he's one of those players that is one of the last really great Hall of Fame players that hasn't won a Stanley Cup. Like I want to see him win. Probably won't do with Toronto because they're a miserable franchise. But who I mean, <laughs> <laughs> can't win a playoff series? But going back, I mean, we're going to talk about this probably in a future episode, so I don't want to give too much away. But going back to that trade in two thousand five ish, I believe, yeah. he was traded for not. It wasn't a good trade for the Bruins. I mean, it was him for uh, Marco Mark Sturm. Stewart. Oh, Marco Sturm, right? Brad Stewart and Wayne Premu. Those are the three guys. I don't know. Uh, who were not effective. I actually wrote this down for a future episode. Um, but people were pissed about the return. Yeah. I mean, in the end we won a cup a few years later, so it doesn't matter. But if we didn't win that cup in 2011, I feel like people would still be mad about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. That that's, um, maybe that's the animosity I'm remembering even is more at the, like, what are you doing with that trade? You know, I, like, yeah. I just remember it kind of being weird circumstance, but that might be it. Cause yeah, I, I remember, I distinctly remember, being like, yeah, I like Marco Sturm, but it's not exactly like a like for like here. You know, like these I mean, other guys aren't doing it. Joe Thornton was a, I believe he was the first overall pick, now a future Hall of Famer. Who are those three other guys? What have they done? I don't Marco think they, Sturm is a German legend, okay? <laughs> Him and uh, Seidenberg. Yes. Yeah, good old Dennis, man. I actually love Dennis Seidenberg. But <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. This is not the topic for today. Okay? <laughs> I'll have better answers later on. Um, I can introduce the topic for today if you want. Yeah. Tell me tell me more about it because I'm in the okay. dark mostly. So when I originally did the video series, I had written this topic down because it's super interesting. It's Cam Neely. Ever heard of him? Uh, he was in that movie, right? Uh, Dumb and Dumber? Dumb and Dumber. Seabass. Who's the dead man that hit me with the salt shaker? Uh, yeah, Cam Neely, we are going to trace his trade tree because it is still happening today. Uh, and that it's is. pretty interesting. So you're saying like the players that we got and whatever, and then who they were traded for in the future and stuff like that. Like you're, that's how you're looking at it. Right. So there's still players in the Bruins organization who can be traced back to Cam Neely. Man, who yeah. hasn't been a Bruin since the mid 90s? I believe uh, 96 yeah. ish. I'll get to that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's. Uh, here's what I'm going to do I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Quentin Tarantino, okay? I'm going to go out of order in terms of the timeline here. <laughs> okay. I'll, um, uh, I'm going to take you back to 2017, okay? 
So 2017, April 21st, 2017, the Boston Bruins are in the Eastern Conference quarterfinals and they're down three games to one against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, do you you remember this series? So the Bruins hadn't made the playoffs, uh, in a couple of years at that point. Uh, I believe that's year Julian was fired actually. Oh, okay. So going into that postseason, uh, there wasn't like high expectations that they would do that well. Uh, it was their first playoff series actually since being eliminated by Montreal in 2014, which I think you remember that one. Mm -hmm. That was painful in the Senators game. We're late in the second period. The Senators uh, are holding on to a 2-1 to lead when Sean Corrali shot a puck from behind the net. It bounced off the Senators defenseman Chris Weidman and into the back of the net, and it tied the game. So I remember this. I'm at a bar in Providence uh, at Trinity Brewhouse. I don't know if you know that place. And uh, watching that game, Corrali ties it. Corrali was kind of, I mean, we know him now, like Sean Corrali, like a fourth liner. Yeah occasionally is good has scored a lot of big goals in the playoffs um i actually saw him score a huge goal in game seven against toronto a couple years ago uh but at the time i mean i didn't know much about him but i remember they showed uh don sweeney up in the box when he scored this goal and he was like sean fucking corrali <laughs> like he would mouth those words <laughs> so that's, um, a, that's a vote of confidence when your gm is like this guy scores He's like, who is that? <laughs> Did I sign him? Not only was it a tying playoff goal, it was Crowley's first NHL goal. And I don't know what you think, but I think that couldn't have come at a better time. But Decent. Decent. It wouldn't be Crowley's biggest goal of the night. The tie would hold into double overtime. Um, I'm a pessimist. I fully expected the Bruins to lose the game and lose the series. But... Uh, with the Bruins season on the line, Charlie McAvoy, he rips a shot from the point. It's deflected in front. So the initial deflection was saved by Craig Anderson, center's goalie. But the rebound years old. Yeah. Remember him? Did he? I think, I think he's still around Craig Anderson. Yeah. He played, he played this season. <laughs> That's true. Oh, wait, did he play for the caps? He played us in the, yeah, first he was round. like their third goalie who showed up and played against us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, Craig Anderson was a legit, really good oh, goalie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, the Senators, it's kind of shocking. We're actually talking about the Senators being the playoffs because they're just a dumpster fire of a team. But uh, this was probably their last playoff appearance, I would imagine. In fact, side tangent, I believe they went to the, the conference finals against Pittsburgh in 2017. And I believe I'm right about that. You were right about that, yeah. Which was not expected. I mean, I think they're better than the Bruins at the time, but it was not expected they go that deep. Yeah. And they, they took that to seven games. They did. I think they took it to overtime in seven games. So the initial deflection is saved by Craig Anderson, but the rebound bounced out and managed to land on the stick of who else but Mr. Sean Corrali. Sean Corrali buries the puck. He wins the game, and the Bruins keep their season alive until two days later when they lost. <laughs> <laughs> As as Don Sweeney said, Sean fucking Corrali. Sean fucking Corrali. We can swear on this podcast. not a kid's show. I, I actually wrote this down. So high above the ice, Bruins GM Don Sweeney screamed out Sean Corrali's name in joy. And he's sitting next to Bruins president, Mr. Cam Neely. Now we're going to back up a little bit. Okay, so that was the intro. That's the intro. Mr. Sean Corrali. Now we need another title slide, part two. We're doing the Tarantino, right? Come on. 
We're doing the Tarantino, yes. Chapter two. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, there we go. May 27th, 2011. My senior prom night. That's why I remember <laughs> it. So it's game seven of the Eastern Conference final at TD Garden in Boston. Uh, it was the deepest the Bruins bid in the playoffs since 1992. Wow. Boston's going ahead against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Jesus, how long have they been good for? And ever. a lot of people describe that as the greatest hockey game they've ever witnessed. Do you remember game seven that year? Did, well, well, my initial question is, did I watch it in your family's basement? <laughs> I couldn't tell you because I was at my prom. <laughs> <laughs> but you probably did. May 27, 2011. Sounds about right. Yeah. I would I would assume that that's where I watched it because that's where I watched an entire playoff series with your family, your grandmother, you know. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, uh, it, that that series. I mean, that whole run. We'll definitely talk about that in the future. But that whole run is my greatest hockey memories are from that year. But Game Seven against Tampa, which I, I mean, I didn't see any of it at the time. I saw the highlights, but you'll remember it was a one goal game. Yeah. Yeah. So it's late into the third period. The game remains scoreless and there hadn't been a single penalty called and it was becoming more and more likely that whoever scored that first goal was probably going to win the game. And whoever wins that game obviously goes to the Stanley Cup final. So with just under eight minutes to go, Bruins defenseman Andrew Ference held the puck in the Bruins zone. He skated past the Bruins blue line before sending a pass over to David Krejci at the red line near center ice. And as Krejci made his way through Tampa defense and into the lightning zone, he did a nice little saucer pass onto the stick of, do you remember who it was? Good old Nathan Horton. That is correct. Mr. Nathan Horton, who was absolutely lights out money that entire run until unfortunately he was knocked out in game three against Vancouver, I believe. It would give the Bruins that one goal lead and it would be enough to send them to the Stanley Cup final for the first time in 21 years. So those are two like pretty huge moments that were not so long ago in Bruins history. I mean, one of them was 2017. What, what's that like four years ago? Four years. Yeah. Time and then flies, the other four years. I can't believe it though. The other one is 10 years ago. That's yeah. that's wild. Yeah. So that, I mean, that game was amazing. Uh, not a penalty was called in the entire game. I mean, how often does that happen? Let them play boys. Let them play. But it's not even like, I mean, once again, I was at uh, senior prom, so I, I missed it. But I've seen the clips a million times. You're not a dedicated fan. Say what? You're not a dedicated fan. Come on. <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't miss the prom. They did announce that the Bruins won at prom, so that was pretty Oh, good. that's dope. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't think it was like an overall dirty game either. I think it was a pretty clean. It wasn't like they were just letting things go. It just was up and up and down, just clean yeah. hockey. These two big events, the 2017 Corrali goal, and the 2011 Nathan Horton goal have something in common and they wouldn't be possible without a trade that took place on June 6th, D-Day, 1986. Can you guess the trade? I'm going to guess it's Cam Neely trade. Am I, am I right on that? No, you're not. No, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, all right. yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. But first let's do another Tarantino chapter three. Let's talk about Barry Peterson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know Barry Peterson? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's on the Nesson broadcast. Yep. Got a good head of hair. Some gray hair. Yeah. No, but he's, he's uh, was he coach or GM? Uh, he was... So in this story, he's a player. He's a player? Jeez, man. I'm... Yeah. You got to do your research. 
No, I'm just I, uh, no, the whole point of this is I didn't do any research and you are informing me of everything. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that off the uh, off the top that we're kind of surprising each other with the stories. Is that how you would say it? Um, yeah. Informing the other person. Uh, yeah. Bring them along for the ride. Whatever it is. I don't know anything about this. So which is good. In this story, you're playing the part of our audience. That is. Yeah, I will accept that role. Thank you. But in some weeks, I mean, you'll present to me and I'll be the audience. So it'd be great. So Barry Peterson. So today you'll find him doing the telecast on Nesson. Um, by the way, what out in Portland, how do you watch games? Um, there's things I can officially say and there's other ways <laughs> that I cannot say. But uh, uh, so thankfully, there's a decent amount of games that show up on ESPN+. Plus. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and and since I'm out of market, I don't ever have to worry about it being blacked out. And very often, it's Jack Edwards. So I get to hear Jack <laughs> Edwards' sweet voice from across the country, and it makes me happy inside. So That's, that's uh, really funny. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, however you watch it, I'm sure it's totally legit and legal. 100%, yeah, without a doubt. Now, I mean, there's a decent amount of games that get shown up on, well, not M- NBC anymore. It'll be, what, ESPN? But ESPN, yeah, um, and TNT, I think. Yeah, so we'll be on. I'll be able to watch it there, and then yeah, ESPN Plus had a, a few times, um, and then yeah, you know, all legal ways, of course. <laughs> um, so Barry Peterson was selected by the Bruins, 18th overall in the 1980 NHL Draft, and he was a legit player. Uh, as a rookie in 81-82 NHL season, he scored 44 goals. That's a record for a Bruins rookie that still stands to this day. He developed some pretty good chemistry with legendary. Uh, Jesus. Legendary winger, Rick Middleton, who I think... No, he's not behind me. I thought his number might be behind me. <laughs> My chair is so squeaky, by the way. Um, whose number was retired, I believe, two years ago. So in 1982-1983 season, uh, Peterson continued to have success, and he finished the year with 46 goals and 107 points. So this guy is, like, legit. Yeah. But this success kept going in the playoffs that year. So we're talking 1983. So he and Milton, they, they were on fire, those two guys. They combined for 65 points in 17 games in the postseason. Uh, before the team was limited by the New York Rangers. Oh, sorry. Scratch that. New York Islanders in the conference mm. final. Uh-oh. Don't make that mistake. Uh, we could Google this, too, but I believe that was when the Islanders were on their, like, their insane run. Oh, just like just tearing through the NHL. Yeah, didn't I think they won four in a row in the 80s. But they haven't won since then. Yeah, the the Islanders won that year. They had won the year before. They had won the year before that. And the year before that. That was their fourth <laughs> championship in a row. That's wild. I mean, this is pre-salary cap, right? I, it, it would be really hard to do that now. Although Tampa, I mean, they could. By 1983, it looks like Peterson is going to have a very long, successful career with the Bruins. Why would you get rid of this guy? But then... In 1984, there were circumstances beyond his control, and that would kind of change the course of his career forever. So a benign tumor was found on his shoulder, so that forced him to get surgery. And that year, he would only play in 22 games. Well, voice crack. That year, he'd only play in 22 games. <laughs> Growing up. There we go. There we go. 1984 and 85 season. All right. <laughs> and then a second, more invasive surgery require would be required on his uh, shoulder. So that was in the following season. 
And unfortunately, I mean, we've seen this before. When he returned, he wasn't able to match the high performance he had for Boston in the previous years. Bruins general manager, who appears to have been general manager for 400 years, Harry Sinden. Oh, yeah. Yep. Bruins GM. Forever, I feel like. 30 plus years. I think. You're on Google. Oh, I'm I'm the Googler on this, for sure. I really appreciate that because I'm just spewing things out. Harry Sinden... Let's see here. So then in 66, he moved up to the NHL as head coach of the Boston Bruins. At 33, he was the youngest coach in the league. Wow. Look at that. In his first season with a team that included rookie Bobby Orr, the Bruins finished out of the playoffs with the worst record in the league. <laughs> but in his it was second a small year, league. aided by the acquisitions of Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, and Fred Stanfield and a blockbuster deal with the Chicago Blackhawks, the team posted a winning record. And then in his third season, they finished with 100 points, just behind the Canadiens for top spot in the NHL. And in the fourth season, he coached the Bruins to their first Stanley Cup in 29 years. He spent over 28 years as general manager of the Bruins. Thank you. So not 30 plus years, but almost. So, but, but Barry Peterson, this trade, 1986, let's talk about this. It would alter the franchise forever. June 6th, D-Day, 1986. Barry Peterson was traded to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Cam Neely and Vancouver's first pick in the 1987 draft, who would end up becoming Glenn... Wesley, I think I'm saying that right. Glenn Wesley. Uh, It was a trade that not only would bring over one of the most legendary players in Bruins history, but it has also continued to benefit the Bruins for the past 34 years. Might be 35 years now that I wrote this last year. (laughs) So they traded Peterson for the great Cam Neely and the... Um, third overall pick in the 1987 draft. That seems like a really good deal to me right now. I think, you know, at the time, I I don't know this for sure, but I'm wondering if Vancouver saw like how good Peterson was when he was healthy. Mm -hmm. And they were probably really hopeful that he would be that player again. Uh, He was pretty young at the time. I don't know his exact age, but he was good enough to get that (laughs) in return. Not bad. And it's always kind of fun or interesting to play what if. So like what if Peterson never needed surgery in the first place? Yeah. How would how would the Bruins be different now? Totally. Down to like Cam Neely is Bruins president. He wouldn't be Bruins president. Yeah. He'd be Canucks president or something, you know, like he yeah. He maybe he's not in Dumb and Dumber, that's for sure. <laughs> this is some butterfly butterfly effect shit. So the initial benefit of the trade was pretty apparent uh, in Neely's first season. He was a true power forward. This guy was ridiculous. I mean, they don't make hockey players like this anymore. So in his first year, he led the team in scoring 36 goals. With those 36 goals, he had 143 penalty minutes, which you love to see. Yeah. I mean, he was made for Boston, this guy. Big bad Bruins, come on. Exactly. So he could hit and he could score like nobody else. In fact, he had three seasons with more than 50 goals, which is wild. He would also appear in two Stanley Cup finals for the Bruins in 1988 and 1990. You know the story, though. Unfortunately, both times they were defeated by Edmonton. It was kind of like, you know, when the Patriots made that Super Bowl where they were like destroyed. It was oh, like 86 that. against the Bears. Yeah. Yeah. Same same situation. A far superior team playing them. So. As time went on, unfortunately, Neely's career is cut short by injury. Uh, I believe it was 
Ulf Samuelson who did the knee on knee? You are correct. And I only know that because my dad pulled that out of left field with me the other day. We were talking about Cam Neely and he's just like, oh yeah, it was, uh, yeah, who did that to him? It was uh, Ulf Samuelson. And I was like, how did you, ju-? and he's like, I'll never forget that name. Cause then afterwards Neely would always make sure to like, you know, give it like fight him or whatever. Like, you know, he was, my dad was so pissed at Ulf Samuelson for ruining Cam Neely's knee that he never forgot his name. And I was props to props. Yeah. On May 3rd, 1991, it's game three of the Prince of Wales conference finals. Remember Prince of Wales conference? It's uh, Neely took a hit from Penguins defenseman Ulf Samuelson. This combined with another hit he would take to the knee in game six would cause Neely to miss significant time. Uh, So in the next two seasons, he would only appear in 22 games. But in 93-94, he would play in just 49 games. Just 49 games. You heard me correctly. But he would score 50 goals on one leg. Jesus. So, to this day, Neely is still the Bruins' all-time leading playoff scorer. Well, voice crack again. What's going on? Come on, dude. You know, what's going on? Not enough tea today. (laughs) So, to this day, Neely is still the all-time leading playoff goal scorer with 55 goals. He's a legend. Uh, His number eight was retired in 2004. And in 2005, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, His last NHL game was in 1996. But, like I said earlier, the benefits of the trade uh, continue to this day. All right, so Peterson has traded Vancouver in 1986 for Cam Neely, like I said, in a first, uh, first pick in 1987 draft. So, the, the, so that pick would turn to Glenn Weasley. Wesley. Wesley, Glenn Wesley, Wesley. Yep. yep. Okay. Wesley would appear in both Stanley Cup final runs with Boston. Um, he scored a big goal in Game 5 against the Montreal Canadiens, and that would send them to the final. So he got a, that's a pretty huge goal. So we're following the trade tree now. Wesley would be traded in 1994 to the Hartford Whalers, rest in peace, for a first-round pick in 95, 96, and 97. There are going to be some names here that are going to bring back some memories. That 1995 pick would be none other than Kyle McLaren. Kyle McLaren. Oh, yeah. I remember Kyle. So that was the 95 pick. 96 was Jonathan Atkin. Don't know him. But 1997 would be Mr. Sergey Samsonov. Sergey. Hey. Thanks, Glenn. Pour one out for Sergey. Actually, he's alive, so don't pour one out. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what, 40? He's, he's young. Like I was telling you through text, he played in the Bruins alumni game in like 2016. He was like 37 years old. So. <laughs> it was like him and then a bunch of old players. Yeah. Yeah. A, a bunch of 60-year-olds and Sergey. Right. Right. So the, the 96 pick, uh, Atkin, uh, his career would never really pan out. But Samsonov, he had a nice little run with the Bruins. He uh, was a pretty highly touted prospect uh, prior to his career in the NHL. He won a bronze medal in the World Junior Hockey Championship and was named the tournament's most outstanding forward after scoring six goals in six games. He was drafted by the Bruins eighth overall in 1997. And that same year, they would draft none other than Mr. Joe Thornton. Mm-hmm. What a draft. Remember that draft? Great draft. So Samsonov would win the Calder as the league's best rookie. He scored 22 goals and had 47 points. Like we were saying earlier, he was great when he first started. 
electric. You're excited. You you love to see it. You know. Yeah. It started well, and I remember. Yeah, Thornton's rookie year, he did not start well. So I feel like everybody was like, "Oh, this guy Sergey, outshowing the number one pick." You know. Like, right. Which in the end, I mean, <laughs> Thornton's going to the Hall of Fame. Samsonov is not. So. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so in 2001, though, Samsonov would play in his first and only NHL All Star game. But on March 9th, 2006, which seems like so much more recent than like Samsonov was on the team up until 2006, he was traded to the Oilers in exchange for Marty. I'm, I hope I don't mispronounce all these names. Marty Resner and a 2006 second round pick and Jan Statsny. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know Jan Statsny. So, like I said, one of those trades was a second-round pick that came over to us. Yeah. That second-round pick, Mr. Milan Lucic. All right. <laughs> the once-dubbed future Cam Neely there, Milan Lucic. Okay. Exactly. We got what well, we got a, a Cam Light for for that. Okay. Cam Light. Lucic though would be the first player connected to the Cam Neely trade that would be a part of the 2011 Stanley Cup run. Uh, he was actually pretty lights out in that run. But if we go back to the 1995 draft pick, Kyle McLaren, we'll trace him a little bit now. Legendary Kyle McLaren. <laughs> so by 2002, Kyle McLaren, he's unhappy with the Bruins organization. That summer, Bruins GM Mike O'Connell, I remember him, that name coming up. Mm-hmm. He offered him a two-way contract, which meant that McLaren might find himself playing for Providence. But at this point, McLaren considered himself like a pretty established NHL player. So the thought of going to the minors, he felt insulted and he demanded a trade. No, okay. <laughs> do we so, know like how many points this guy, like was this guy a good enough player to be like, you need to trade me or like he was offered a two way contract. I feel like you're not very, I, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I don't have the best memory of Kyle McLaren, but I don't remember him being like a great player. You want me to, you want me to, you want me to Google this? Can you just pull up uh, Kyle McLaren's stats real quick? Uh, done. Yes, got him. His, uh, his career didn't last much longer after this. I'll I'll say I'll say this. His I'll do his first five seasons in the NHL. He had seventeen points, fourteen points, twenty five <laughs> points, twenty four points, nineteen points. Okay, so not an impactful player, really. Right. So he demanded a trade (laughs) and Boston was like, uh, all right. (laughs) Sure. So he was traded, uh, funny enough to the San Jose sharks, future Joe Thornton's home for players. Wasn't part of the Thornton trade. He was not, but so the sharks were just a common dance partner in our trade. Okay. Yeah. So he was traded there for, uh, Jeff Hackett, who I think was a goalie. If you remember that name, Jeff Hackett, and then I believe this next guy is a Rhode Island native, Jeff Jilson, Mount St. Charles alum. Oh, Mount St. Charles, huh? I think so. Wow. Rhode Island dynasty. Let's see I, here. I believe he's from Rhode Island. He's from North Smithfield, Christian. Come on. There you go. Wow. That's Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. Mount St. Okay. Charles, 24 uh, championships in a row or something. They won like every championship for 30 years. It was nuts. Do you know which high school ultimately defeated them? Yeah. Okay, Christian. I get it. That Tollgate happened to have one year where they were good at hockey. And I wasn't even in the school yet, but my high school. 
but Jilson, I mean, Jilson would spend most of his time playing down in Providence. Um, and at the trade deadline during the 2003-2004 season, Jilson would be sent back to the Sharks in exchange for another name you might remember, Brad Boys. Remember yeah, Brad oh Boys? yeah. Absolutely. That, that, this is where I'm starting to remember all these players from my, from my childhood. Uh, Boys was sent to Boston in March of 2004. And he would remain with the Bruins until the trade deadline in 07. So he played there a couple, a few years, three years. Um, eventually, though, he was dealt to St. Louis for a player who a few years later would hit a ref, Dennis Weidman. <laughs> I don't know if he hit the ref on purpose, but he hit a ref. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so he played for us for four years. And he, he was solid. He wasn't bad. Uh, in 2008 and 2009, he scored 13 goals, 59 points in 79 games. Uh, so, than, I mean, that's uh, good. Kyle McLaren. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, he tied Zdeno Chara that year for the most points by a defenseman on the team. But uh, he struggled. Well, voice crack again, dude. I... <sighs> Man. Okay. That's three. We got to have some kind of punishment for voice cracks. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's the weather. That's unreal. But he struggled in the regular season in 09 and 10. Uh, but he managed to have a pretty good playoff. So he scored 12. Sorry, he scored a goal and had 12 points in 13 games in the playoffs that year. 2010 is not a year I want to remember in the playoffs. That is the Flyers year for the Bruins. Oh, yeah. I blocked that out, but... It's okay, though. I mean, the next year made up for it. True, Like true. If they hadn't won the Cup the next year, we'd still be upset about it. But why didn't we be traded along with a first-round draft pick in 2010 and a third-round draft pick in 2011 to the Florida Panthers in exchange for Nathan Horton, Ooh, yep. Gregory Campbell. Wow. Soupy? And then, yep. And then the rest is history. I mean, that's the 2011 team there. Sort of. After the 2011 Cup run, the Cam Neely trade tree stayed put for a few years. We won a cup. Everything's great. But then in 2015, uh, Lucic is traded to the LA. Remember that? Yeah. Absolutely. That was a big deal at the time. I feel like that was when that core, like it felt like that era was over once Lucic was traded. It's weird because I want to agree, but then I'm thinking like, well, we still, we still to this day of Krejci and Bergeron and Marshawn and had a char up until this past season. It's true. Rask, he was part of that too. Yeah. So Lucic is traded. And in return, the Bruins received Martin Jones, Colin Miller, and a first-round pick who would become Jake Zaborl. Oh, yeah. Uh, But Martin Jones would only last like 30 seconds in Boston because he was immediately traded to the Sharks again for some reason. What is it with that? And uh, in that exchange came Sean Corrali, bringing it back to the start of this podcast. Hey. And a 2016 first-round pick. Mr. Trent Frederick, who is becoming a fan favorite. Wow. Okay. But like I said, I like to play what ifs. So like, what if Barry Peterson never needed surgery? We have stayed with the Bruins and uh, would they have won a cup in 2011? We don't know the answer, but uh, it's certainly fun to, to think about. That's it. That's the trade tree. Man. It, well, it's going to keep going too. Like Corrali, Frederick, these guys aren't old. They're going to be around. They're going to get moved. They're going to. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The the roots continue to grow, or the branches, whichever one you want to, you know, whichever one makes more sense. Use that. The root is Cam Neely, and then the branches. Right. Okay. Are, the, the branches continue to grow. Right. 
it's funny because I remember hearing about this trade tree like a few years ago, like when Lucic was still on the team. And then it, like I said, it stayed put for a few years, but now it's just, it's still going. So I, and, and that's got to be, there's got to be, it's a forest, you know, there's got to be, there's all, all these other trade trees. It's like you could go through and find out some cool other stuff, I'm sure. Well, then, so ultimately, then what grade are we giving the Cam Neely trade? I feel like we got to give it a really, a really good one, right? Yeah, I'd give it an A. I mean, it's too bad they didn't win either of those cups in 88 and 90. That would have been real cool. So that's my story this week, the Cam Neely trade tree. Thanks for joining me on this on this ride, RJ. You know, thanks for bringing me along. I'm uh, I'm now going to like spend hours Googling other trade trees to see, you know, like, and play these fun what ifs. You know, I, I'm curious uh, to hear if anybody listens to this. I'm curious to hear what they think. What you know, in these what ifs, what would have happened? You know, if either this trade didn't happen or Neely doesn't get hurt or any of that stuff. Right. Because it's fun to uh, it's fun to game out. It is. I mean, if Neely doesn't get hurt, maybe we don't win 2011. So it's, uh, yeah. Well, that was uh, episode one of season three of Calling Through History. Uh, you tell RJ, me, man. Uh, <laughs> RJ, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to future stories with you. Do you have anything to tease? Oh, man. Well, I, I really want to look at... Uh, Actually, we briefly talked about it on this one with the issues with the guard in the Stanley Cup Finals. Stories yes. of the blackouts and the fogouts. Yes. Uh, I remember them only because my dad had a VHS tape recapping the 89-90 season. <laughs> and I used to watch that. And it was always like this great team and Bork's going and Neely. And, and then Stanley Cup Finals... And they talk about that game and going into all the overtimes and the power going out in the garden. Yep. And it was like, man, that was ingrained in me from a, from a young age of something that was like in folklore. So I'm excited to look into it a little bit more and, and, uh, and talk about it here. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to, uh, to talk about the, the original garden. It's almost like its own character in Bruins history. I like the way people talk about it. Absolutely. I, I, I was telling you, uh, you know, via text earlier about talking to my dad about it. And he just starts breaking out stories, to, you know, talking to uh, Molly's dad about it. And he's, you know, his friend's dad's an usher in the sixties. He's sneak, they're sneaking him in back doors and he's getting <laughs> to sit on the glass as a kid. Like uh, it's uh it's a different, it's not only a different and unique building that has a character, but it's also, a picture in a time when sports were like they were still commercialized, but it f- felt less com- commercialized and less like a science and less like all the, it was much more like you go out there, you enjoy, y- you know, like it, it's just a different era of sport in general, not even necessarily just about the rink itself, but the era that of, of hockey and sport that it witnessed. Right. Yeah. It was kind of like a, a more like blue collar thing, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we will see you next time.